0: Well, in honor of our Lenten theme of peace, we're going to begin this morning with a tradition that some of you may be familiar with. Um, it's never actually been part of a tradition of a church that I've attended, but it's a version of what, Cor- or I don't know if it was um, Corey or James who said it, um, but you may be seated and greet someone as you do. It's a version of that, many traditions um, do it, and it's called the Passing of the Peace. And it is just a way of rehearsing um, the peace we want in our own lives, the peace that we want um, in our family, the peace we want in our community, the peace we long for in our world. So at the risk of a little um, awkwardness, um, we're gonna pass the peace feel kind of cool, like we've joined with the cool kids. So this is what you're going to do. Um, we're going to stand up, and you're kind of going to make your way, when throughout the room. People you know, people you don't know. We're going to take a few minutes. You can shake hands. You can hug. You can stand at a safe COVID distance. You can do whatever you want. And what you're going to say to this person who you know or don't is, Peace be with you. And the person might say, Peace be with you. Or they might say, And also with you. Um, And we're just going to take a few minutes, and we're going to go walk through the rows and offer peace to your brothers and sisters. Okay, everybody understand the assignment? (laughs) Okay, I'm joining in with this. I don't want to interrupt this, but as you finish your peace be with you's, you can make your ways to your seats. Oh my gosh, that was super fun. We could like end right now, amen. This morning we'll do something a little bit different. I say that it's not that different because we do it periodically. We'll have a short Meditation and then some prayer practices that we're going to do together that are designed to help us enter into peace. Um, but we're going to start with a quick biblical history, or Old Testament uh, summary. And the reason that is is because the scripture — it's a kind of short scripture that we get to at the end — will not make sense if we don't have a context for it. So here you go. Here is my quick Old Testament summary, which some people take classes for semesters for. We're gonna do it in a few minutes. (laughs) All right, here goes. God calls Abraham and Sarah, and through them, God calls a nation to God's self, and God promises that their descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on a seashore. Abraham and Sarah have kids and have grands. And some years later, a famine happens. And Abraham's great-grandson Joseph helps Egyptian pharaoh with that famine. So this Hebrew great-grandson of Abraham and Sarah becomes second only to the king of Egypt, this powerful nation. The people of God multiply there, and in a few generations, the Hebrew people become a numeric threat to Egypt and to this new Pharaoh who doesn't know anything about Joseph. And the people of God are enslaved. And after 400 years, a man named Moses leads a great deliverance called the Exodus. So liberation theology, Um, in all its nuanced forms, feminist liberation theology, womanist or black liberation theology, Latin liberation theology, all derive from the Exodus. And most of us have some familiarity with the story after 10 plagues and the crossing of the sea on dry land, the Hebrew people are finally liberated. They wander in the desert for 40 years and then they come to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And with a land of their own, God's people want a king. Now, God is not so keen about this idea. God, think God, God thinks that God makes a fine leader for God's people, but eventually God relents. King Saul, first king, is a bit of a disaster. David has a mixed legacy, which is about as good as it gets. David's son Solomon does something remarkable. He builds a temple, and that is a game changer. God's people now have a permanent place to worship. No more tent, no more tabernacle. A permanent place to sacrifice. Now later, that sacrificial system would be challenged, but at this point... It's the primary means of worship. So it's hard to overstate what the temple would feel like to this group of nomads become slaves, become desert wanderers on route to the land that they believed was promised to them by God. Now, to be fair, Solomon didn't actually build a temple. Lots and lots of slaves built the temple, but it was built and it was amazing. And it was assigned to Israel of God's favor, and it would be there forever. Well, one king died and another king took his place over many generations, and during this period that the Bible calls kings, there were lots of prophets who were so happy to sing the king's praises. Oh, king, they would say, you find favor with God. But there were just a small handful of prophets who were saying, Wait, this isn't true. This kingdom is corrupt. This king is corrupt. You, dear king, have walked away from God and God's ways, and that does not portend well. Jeremiah is one of the prophets who's fed up with blessing the status quo. He says to the prophets of the king, You say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, a lot of people are suffering. This system is only working for the people at the top, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. They're all being overlooked. Peace, peace, you say. But there is no peace. And it turns out the doom and gloom prophets were right. Israel is besieged by Babylon. Most of the people are taken into exile. And then the unthinkable thing happens the beloved temple, God's dwelling place, is completely and utterly destroyed. Now God's people have no land no king, and no temple. They feel abandoned by God. I've thought about this many times over the last two years. That last Sunday before COVID, there was standing room only. In this room, there were 100 kids tearing back and forth, always hanging on the curtains, (laughs) 42 directions, Great unmasked worship. It was glorious. And then this invisible enemy comes and ravishes our world. The world out there and the world in here. The Babylonian exile lasted 70 years. That is a long time. Babies were born. Older people died. And then, as empires do, the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonian Empire. There will not be a test on this next week. (laughs) And the Persian Empire was a little bit more sympathetic to Israel and said, listen, go back to Canaan. Rebuild your temple. I mean, we're still in charge, But given that, you you can have some freedom. Okay, so kind of good news, sort of. Our scripture is short this morning. The Hebrew people have made this trek back to Canaan. They've laid the foundation of the new temple. It's nowhere as grand as the old one but it's something. And they're in their beloved homeland. So they've gathered together to worship God, to give thanks for the hope of a future, for another deliverance, sort of. And this must be one of my favorite scriptures. Now, I feel like I say that a lot, so I lose credibility with you. (laughs) But I think when you hear this one, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense why she would say that. All right, so now, I think that was pretty good, giving you the whole Old Testament, right? About five or ten minutes. It was a lot more fun than my Old Testament class at Fuller Seminary. All right, here we go. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and the trumpets and the Levites, the son of Aphaph, with cymbals took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they said to the Lord, God is good, God's love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people had made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. Last week, we had a lot more people for the first time. We had bagels. It wasn't yet spring break. There was a lot of celebration, a lot of hugging, a lot of sweet connection. I cried during worship. But I am aware that we have experienced a lot in the last two years. We have lost things. We have lost experiences. We have lost people. There seems to be reason for hope moving forward. But our losses are real. And so what I want to do with our remaining time is a few short prayer experiences. I think that the people of God were doing their celebration and their lament simultaneously, because that is the pathway to peace, and that is what we all embody. We have celebration, and we have loss, we have lament. So I want to do three practices. We're going to do what we've lost, what we've gained, and how we've changed. We're just gonna spend a minute or so with each one. Um, So the first one we're gonna do is, we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna situate ourselves for all three of these. So if it helps you when you pray, to close your eyes, feel free, do it how you want. But try to imagine that you're sitting next to God as you um, are comfortable imagining God. So maybe you're sitting across from Jesus, Um, Maybe you see uh, ruach, the feminine spirit of God. Um, But however you see God, you're sitting across from God and you're going to name. And you can name one thing you've lost and flesh it out as much as you can. Or you can name as many things as you want that you've lost and flesh them out as you will. Um, and then, after a little bit of time, and I'll watch the clock, um, I'm going to give us an opportunity to give our burden to God. We'll start now. please continue and feel free to allow God to speak back whatever's comfortable. Wherever you are, in naming what you've lost, and however much you feel ready, God invites us to give God our burdens, saying God's yoke is light and ours is heavy. If you can find a way to walk over and hand your burdens, your losses to God that make sense to you. We're going to take our moments, a moment, and we're going to give to God our loss, our burden. Amen. Okay. I'm sorry we don't have more time to spend on all of these. Of course we do, but not at this moment. So number 2, what have I gained? I spent my first year of COVID with Teresa of Avila. Who's glorious. She's a Catholic mystic from about the 1200s, a saint. Teresa slowed me down. She opened my heart to an expanse of spirituality that stays with me to this day. What did COVID give you? What have you gained? God, and however you're seeing God still sitting across from you, and you're saying, this is what I've gained during this time. Amen. And finally, seasons like this change us. We don't emerge, the same people. Take a moment, talk with Jesus, talk with God, how you've changed. In some ways, I feel brutalized by the last two years, in some ways I feel stronger than I felt before. How have you changed? God is still sitting with you. Amen. When we get to worship and during communion, I'm going to have oil and be standing in front. It's optional, but if you want a way to mark what you've begun to name today, I'm happy to anoint you with oil. So I'll close with this. During the exile, that's what that period is called, those 70 years, in the post exilic period, so after the exile, much of the hopes and dreams of the people of God were shattered. Who's, who's God? What did it mean to be God's people? How do we understand God's promises? And in their brokenness, they felt an acute need to understand and to tell their story, the story of God and how they fit in, and to write it down. More than ever, they needed their history, their songs, their prayer, their origin story. It was during this time of exile and the years that followed that the Old Testament, as we've come to know it, was written and placed into canon It was during this time of diaspora, some of the Jewish people didn't come back, some settled elsewhere, and it was during this time that local houses of worship began to proliferate early synagogues that we find today. It was during this time that new worship practices and new rituals emerged. I don't want to say the oft-misused quote, what the enemy intended for evil God used for good. I kind of don't like when people say that to me. I want to say, it wasn't good, it was evil. But I do want to say God who is always working towards good. God who is love. God who cannot be anything but love. God who is God will always bring beauty from ashes. Amen.